assembly for some time. I trust that all of you brought your Bibles, and uh, we will be going into a Bible study here. And we're not going to have you to stand through the reading of the Scripture. And the reason why is because we have a lot of Scriptures to cover, and you'd be standing here almost all day, so you can be seated. Uh, normally, we do have you to stand. I've had just a good number of people in the church, and some from the school, come and ask me a question concerning uh, the ladies' proper dress. I taught this on a Thursday night not too long ago. I've had, I guess, several of the young ladies of our school to ask me about this. And uh, whenever I asked them concerning their attendance at the service, for some reason or other, they weren't able to come. So I thought it would be wise for me to address you and talk to you personally concerning the proper dress code for the young lady. Now, in interjected into this, we'll also talk about the young man. But basically, the girls were concerned because uh, here at Calvary Gospel Church, our ladies do wear skirts or dresses as opposed to pantsuits and such. Now, <clears throat> this is a big question. Uh, a lot of people wonder if it's really taught in the Bible, so we just want to take a look at what the Scripture really says about it. The place in which we normally begin is 1 Corinthians 14, and the reason why I began here is because I think there is something about the New Testament, the way it came about, especially the epistles that's brought out in this. The epistles were not given to the churches as... A thesis would be written, that is, just uh, covering a particular subject, which it's all dealing with the subject of Christian living. But the epistles were not written as theses and handed down to the church. Uh, but it appears that what happened here is God, through his inspiration to the apostles, dealt with particular problems as they occurred or as they came about. They saw particular problems in in the churches, and so the Lord inspired the men to write uh, these particular letters that were handed to the church, and they were written to uh, counteract some of the problems they were having. So I go to a problem area, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, to uh, show you a couple of things about the Scripture, and then also to, uh, as a way of introduction to the dress code situation. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Verse 36. What came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 basically is dealing with spiritual gifts and some of the problems that occurred concerning spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul explains the true method in which people are to prophesy, and also he explains the difference between the initial evidence 
of, of the Holy Ghost, the tongues that come, and also the edification that one receives when he prays in the Spirit, and the gift of tongues and the interpretation. And basically he sums it up that the gift of tongues and interpretation are equivalent to prophecy, and both are to be done for the edifying of the church. And of course, uh, the speaking in tongues, which a person does in the Spirit, is done for the edification of oneself. Now you have to understand this, because that's a basic foundation for 1 Corinthians 14. But this particular passage of Scripture was given to counteract some of the problems that they were having. Now another problem that they were having is that they were not wanting their women to prophesy or uh, to be used in any spiritual way in the church. Now, the reason I assume, and I use this word assume, that he's talking about this is because right in the middle of the chapter, he places the particular passage of Scripture that I read, and then he just goes right back to talking about spiritual gifts. So, some of the ladies were wanting to prophesy, some of the ladies were wanting to speak in tongues, and some of the ladies were wanting to interpret. Now, what he says, verse 34, and you follow this, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. All right? Now, verse 36 carries a key to this. He says, what? Question mark. Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only. Now what the Apostle Paul is saying, he, he quotes what they teach that the law said. And in verse 36 he says, what? In other words, he questions his own statement. Now he questions his statement because he made a statement concerning their teaching. And he says, what? Now he said, this did not come out of the law. This came out of you. In other words, this is your own teaching. Now, true enough, the Old Testament law deals in many, many places concerning a woman's position and what she can do and what she should not do and when she does it, how she should do it. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is, he said, now you've taken a portion of the law and you have put your own private interpretation to it. And you have said that the women should be totally silent in the churches. Well, first place, remember the Old Testament law did not have the church order of spiritual gifts and such that we have today. So they had an entirely different order in which uh, people worship God or in which uh, their service to God, was, uh, to the Lord, was conducted. So what he's basically saying is, what? He said, that came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only. Now what he says in verse 37 if any man think himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. In other words, if you people think that you're spiritual and you're claiming to be prophets, he said, why don't you acknowledge that what I write unto you is the commandment of the Lord? In other words, you just don't go out and gather your own ideas together and, and form a doctrine. It must be scripturally founded. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul did not disagree with women prophesying or women speaking in tongues. Now, if turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 deals with 
the followers of the Lord, especially the ladies, and the particular order of authority. Now, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, Paul is putting some regulations even upon people following him. They are to follow him only as long as he does what? Follows the Lord. All right? Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. In other words, he is establishing the validity of Scripture. He's saying, now, you keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Verse 3, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now what the Apostle Paul is doing here, the first thing he's doing, he's saying, now we're going to put some regulations upon your discipleship. You follow me only as long as I follow God. In other words, if I get out of the Scripture then don't follow me. If what I write is contrary to the Old Testament Scripture, then don't follow me. See, there are certain patterns that God has established. And that's what he was saying. Now, he goes on to say, Now, I would like for you to keep the ordinances, that is, the letters, the regulations, that I write unto you. Of course, you keep those only if I follow Christ. All right? Now, he goes into the pattern of spiritual authority. He said there's first God, who is spirit, who came in fleshly form, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who followed after that spirit. Every man that walketh upon the face of the earth should follow after the pattern that God has established in the earth, and that is Jesus Christ. Then the woman should follow after the pattern that God has set for her. That is her husband. Okay. Now, he says that there is a distinct way in which a woman and her fidelity to her husband can be determined. And that is how she prays and how she prophesies. If she prays properly and prophesies properly, the attitude of her heart is reflected in what she's doing. Now, he says... She should always pray with her head covered. And she should always prophesy with her head covered. Now, if she prays and prophesies with her head covered, she honors her head, and her head is her husband. She shows fidelity to her husband, or we might say she shows loyalty to the chain of command or authority that God has placed on the earth. Now, we know, according to verse 14, I say verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 11, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So a woman who has uncut hair may prophesy and pray in the church for edification. Now, this is the restriction that the Apostle Paul has placed upon the edification of a woman to the body of Christ. So, 
I think what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 11 is that that a woman's attitude is reflected in how she wears her hair. If she cuts her hair or shaves her head, she dishonors her husband and also dishonors God. But if her hair is long, it is a reflection of the inner attitude of her heart. She is showing that she wants to properly edify the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14 were given for the purpose of edification of the body. If she's in direct conflict to the commandments of the Lord, she disqualifies herself to edify the body because she's not in agreement with it. Now, you will find in the New Testament that the attitude of an individual is reflected in his actions. Now, you cannot separate, regardless of how you try, you cannot separate character from conduct. What you are determines what you do. This is why James says, You show me your faith without your works. I show you faith by my works. He said, Can faith alone save a man? Question mark. He explains that faith alone cannot save a man. The reason why is because along with faith there comes action. And if a man doesn't have the act, pardon me, if a man doesn't have the action, he is deceiving himself. He doesn't have the faith either. See? So the general attitude of the heart is reflected in our conduct. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14, he's saying, now you folks say that a woman cannot speak in a church. He said, that came out of you. That did not come out of the law. In other words, if a woman properly prophesies and prays, that is, she's got the correct attitude, then uh, she'll be able to edify the body. But in the New Testament, there are two outward ways that I find in which the woman, the woman's attitude is displayed. How she dresses and how she wears her hair. Those are the two areas in which the Apostle Paul deals with in the Scripture. Now what I'd like to do, I'd like to back all the way up to the Old Testament to find out concerning the teaching of the law. Now the teaching of the law came from a particular passage of Scripture found in Genesis, the third chapter. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse 16, after Eve had sinned, after Eve had sinned, the Bible tells us unto the woman, he said, that's God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. Children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now what he's saying is that, that I'm cursing the earth. Now, in the curse of the earth, there is a portion of this that's directed toward a woman. In 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, pardon me, in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says Adam was not deceived. It was Eve that was deceived. Now, Adam... To a degree, I, I suppose we could use the word deceive because he went along with what had happened. 
But it was first Eve that was deceived, and so as a result, her husband was to rule over her. Now, she was also to bring forth children in great pain and great sorrow. That was part of the curse. That's why when a lady goes to the hospital, she goes only after it has been determined that she is ready to give birth. And how can you determine that she's ready to give birth? She usually checks the pain cycle, what we call the labor. And when the labor pains become uh, a certain distance apart, uh, she determines it's now time for me to go. In other words, uh, the pain that I bear in my body is proof that I am about to give birth to a child. Now, in the Old Testament law, the entire teachings in the law concerning the woman and her action toward her family, toward her husband, toward government, toward priest, the priesthood and everything, was taken from Genesis 3.16. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible does say that a woman should learn in silence. Now, it doesn't mean when it says learn in silence that she's never to open her mouth, ask a question, uh, inquire about anything. But it's talking about the basic attitude in which she lives. It's to be reflected in her uh, silence. That is, her, her, uh, well, she's not to be abrasive and bold and strong and she should not be an authoritarian. Now, you will find in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul talks about the dress code for a lady, the attitude for a lady, and also the attitude of a man, he always refers back to this particular chain of command that was established at the curse of the world. Now an example, Ephesians 5.22 speaks of this. You don't have to turn there because we have a number of scriptures. Colossians 3.18 speaks of this. 1 Timothy 2.11 speaks of this. Titus 2.5 speaks of this. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, verse 5 and 6 speaks of this. 1 Corinthians 11, which we have expounded somewhat upon today, speaks of this. And 1 Corinthians 14 also speaks of this. You will find that he always refers back to the particular chain of command. Now, this is very, very important because throughout the Scripture we find this pattern. It's not just an Old Testament pattern, it's a New Testament pattern also. Now, if you turn to Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter, verse 6, verse 5, pardon me, you will find that, that God says something here concerning a man and also a woman. Now, in 1 Corinthians, I say 1 Corinthians, I don't know why I'm not thinking properly here today, I get my scriptures. In, in Deuteronomy, rather, 22, the Bible is explaining the law of separation, that God wants certain things separated. All right? First is the law that deals with brotherhood. It goes from verse 1 down to verse 4. And then it speaks of the separation of the sexes in verse 5. And God has chosen to separate the sexes by putting some external regulations upon them. Verse 5, a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. 
for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, if you look on down through the scripture, you'll find that everything in this particular passage of our chapter is dealing with the law of separation. Uh, verse 9, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest thy fruit of thy seed, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown, and the fruit of the vineyard be defiled. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. Now, you will find that the New Testament does not pick up all of these particular regulations and enforce them. But some of them are definitely enforced in the New Testament, especially the separation of the sexes. Now, the reason why is because if you look in the New Testament, you will find that the very ultimate in sin is when there is a breakdown of the sexes and a breakdown of the chain of command. A person who becomes a reprobate, according to uh, Romans uh, 1 and 2, uh, the man who becomes a reprobate loses that particular distinction and does not see the value. And this is why the Bible says, Therefore their man, men rather, be, began to lust after each other, and the women began to lust after each other. And that which was natural was inverted or perverted. Men after men and women after women. God has always desired to, to carry a definite line of distinction between the sexes. Now, the way you dressed externally, uh, to a degree, determines how you feel internally also. Now, we said you, your attitude determines how you dress, and now we're turning around and saying, well, how you dress determines your attitude. Remember, I said that you can't separate the two. Now, for an example, we just went through the Halloween season. Now, of course, our young people here are not so excited about Halloween and ghosts and goblins and witches and such, but have you ever gone down the street and you saw someone with a mask on? Now, regardless of how... That person is inside, that external uh, show of what he's doing is a quite a scary thing. It, in other words, it does have its effect. And it even has its effect upon the man. I saw a guy walking down the, the, the street and, and he had a, some kind of a uh, horrible mask on and, you know, the complete head. And I happened to be down in the university area last Saturday and here this guy came strolling down the street and he was scaring everybody half to death. Well... I don't really know why, because everyone knew that that was only a mask. But it does have its strange effect upon people. And the way the man was acting, you know, he wasn't acting just perfectly normal walking down the street. He put that external garment on, and he, he knew he had to act according to the way that it was. Now, if we take a careful look in the Scripture, we will find that the whole point that God is trying to bring across to us is that ladies always should dress in such a fashion in which they show their submissive attitude and show their proper respect to God's chain of command. Women should dress feminine, and they should dress in a way in which they are showing their submissive attitude and spirit. Men should dress masculine, Men should dress in such a way that they display 
their attitude of decisiveness and boldness and strength because they happen to be the head of the household on the face of the earth. Now, Deuteronomy 22.5 is a law that was established in the Old Testament, but it is certainly not a law that was Old Testament exclusively. This happened to be a particular commandment that was a commandment from the beginning of sin. That is, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Now, when they sinned, the Bible tells us that, that God covered them with, with garments. God himself took and slew an animal, taught them how to offer up a sacrifice for their sin, and covered their nakedness. And the particular order in which they were to dress and conduct themselves was established by God because he did it personally for them. Then he comes down here and he says, Now a woman should not put on a man's garment, neither should a man put on a woman's garment. Now he said, All that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. Now abomination is dealing with more than just sin. Abomination is sin that causes God to be provoked against. In other words, when you do something that is an abomination, you've got to understand that maybe the sin was of such nature that automatically you kindle the wrath of God against yourself. You know, there are certain things that God will tolerate for some length of time. There are certain things God will tolerate not so long. There are certain things that God will tolerate not very long, and there's some things that God won't tolerate at all. And he always uses the word abomination when he says that he won't tolerate it at all. See? Okay? Now, let's take a look in the New Testament and see if this particular pattern is not established in the New Testament. We first go to First Timothy, the second chapter. First Timothy 2. Now, <clears throat> verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Wherefore, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In other words, God is establishing that, that there is a God, and under that God, Jesus Christ, there is a, a man. Now, the man's particular attitude should be that everywhere he goes, you know, he is bold and brave and decisive. He lifts up his holy, holy hands without wrath or doubting. So God has told him that, you know, if you want to go out in the marketplaces and lift up your hands and praise the Lord, that's your prerogative. Why? Because you are the head of the household and the head of the human race on the earth. And you should do so without any fear, without any intimidation. 
Now notice what he says, in like manner also. Now he uses the word in like manner also. In other words, what he's saying, now the women also can praise the Lord. They can pray. They can lift up their hands. They can do it without doubting. However, let's establish something for the woman. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. In other words, a woman should always dress in such a way that she appears submissive and feminine with shamefacedness and sobriety. There should be an element of shame. Now, what do you mean an element of shame? Well, we don't use shame here in such a way that we would use the word shame in other places in Scripture. Here, it's dealing with the fact that that the woman should be meek and more on the timid side. Now, I'm trying to put this in as simple terms as I can. I know I'm speaking to uh, a vast uh, age difference. Tanya is about six, are you, Tanya? Eight. Well, what did I say six? I should have known better than that. Tanya is eight, and then Joyce is 17. So uh, there's a lot of difference in, in the two ages here we have. And, of course, we got people all between. But uh, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. In other words, the lady should not excel to just be uh, a showpiece to society. She goes over to the shopping malls and, and, and she gets uh, bracelets and rings and all kinds of gold and paints her face and fixes her hair a certain way and, and, and which she calls attention to herself. The scripture says that is not right. That is not right. All right. He said, let the woman, women learn in silence with all subjection. Now notice the preceding verse. The scripture is saying, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. In other words, what really makes a woman beautiful, what really makes a woman pure, what really makes a woman noticeable, if we can use that, is that she has God in her heart. And it should be reflected in the way she dresses and the way she conducts herself. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, the key word in this scripture is usurp. What does usurp mean? It means that she takes authority that is not granted to her. And she uses it to further her own cause. Now, even a man could not do that. You know, there is nobody on the face of the earth that does not have a master. God established that the master of man is Jesus Christ. And God has established that the lady is in the chain of command under the husband and the children then under that particular unit. And so everything that they do should be a direct reflection 
of that particular chain of command. And so a woman should never usurp authority over her husband. She might be right in many cases, but her particular attitude relative to what she's doing must be right also. Now notice what Paul does again. Verse 13, For Adam was first born, then Eve. He goes into this. Genesis 3.16 regulation. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Now you see how the apostle connects that to the Genesis 3.16, where in, in great sorrow and pain she will bring forth children. All right, he's saying, now the, the godly woman, however, even though... Uh, every man on the face of the earth lives under the regulations that God placed him under in the Garden of Eden, that that pain may become so great that she thinks she's going to die, but she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity or love and holiness and sobriety. So Paul is saying now if a woman uh, dresses in such a fashion that she brings honor to the chain of command, and uh, she understands uh, how she should dress, that she should she should be feminine. Uh, there should be an element of, uh, of timidness in her. Uh, she should never excel to be brave and bold and abrasive. Uh, God's going to bless her, and God's going to keep his hand upon her. And even in the part of the curse where... Uh, she was to bring children in great sorrow. God's going to be with her and God's going to help her. All right? Now, let's turn to First Peter, the third chapter. First Peter 3. Now, we will not cover Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, Titus 2.5. But we'll deal with the three New Testament Passage of Scripture, namely 1 Timothy 2.11, 1 Peter 3.1.5 and 6, and then of course the 2, we connect it into 1, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14. Now, 1 Peter 3, likewise you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. A conversation does not mean how she verbalizes something. We always think conversation is talking. But conversation here means her behavior. And of course it does fit the context. The Greek word conversation here means behavior. But also the context speaks of that. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Your chaste behavior coupled with fear. Now, fear here means what? It doesn't mean that you tremble and you're afraid, but fear here means respect. Your chaste conversation, your behavior coupled with respect. And if you want to uh, see something that turns into a real uh, havoc, you let a lady give her heart to God, be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, and let her go back and blast her unsaved husband and have no show no respect for him. 
And I'll guarantee you that she'll drive him a million miles away from the Lord. But the scripture is saying here is, why don't you live the life the way the Bible tells you that you ought to live it and show some respect? All right? Revere him. All right, verse 3, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Okay, in the sight of God of great price. So what is the apostle Peter? Now we read to you Paul's words, but what is Peter saying? He's saying that really what is beautiful about a woman is her meek and quiet spirit. This is her ornamentation. This is what shows about her. It's not how gaudy she can dress. It's not her perverted, abrasive attitude that's reflected in the way she dresses. But it is that beautiful, meek, and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. And I might just interject something here, young people. The chain of command was God's idea. It's not Brother Grant's idea. And I speak of it real often because we're living in a society in which there is very little respect for any chain of command, whether it be a biblical chain of command or a simple chain of command someplace on uh, an assembly line in a, in a factory. This is so very important that we understand it. There is an undermining of all the laws of God that seeks to kill and destroy the chain of command. So this is God's idea. Brother Grant talks about it a lot, but it's not my idea. It is the Lord's idea. And God gave us a Bible not to make himself happy, but God gave us a Bible to make us happy. And please remember, when we don't obey the Bible, it's not God who sits down and cries. It's usually us. For the greatest amount of sadness that would ever come to anyone's heart is when he begins to reap the seed, the corruptible seed of a life of sin. And you'll find out that sometimes while God is reaching down with his hand and sending his wrath and sending destructive forces, that the individual is the person who sits down and cries. I've seen that happen so many, many times. So the Bible is not written to make God happy. It was written to make us happy. Now let's go on verse 5. It says, in, For after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now Peter makes reference to the Old Testament. Okay, He says now this is the same order in the New Testament that we had in the Old Testament. The same teaching of the Old Testament is applicable to the New Testament saint. The women of the Old Testament always adorned themselves showing their submission to their husbands. Verse 6, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, it might be wise for us to turn back to Romans, the fourth chapter, if you would. 
All right, Romans, uh, the fourth chapter, is dealing with Abraham, and it's dealing with Sarah. Now, the Bible tells us, and the father of circumcision, verse 12, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. But there is, but where there is, where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith. Now, if you notice all the way down through the completion of this particular chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking about Abraham and he's talking about Sarah. And he establishes the fact that every person who has been circumcised in his heart, not just the foreskin of his flesh according to the Mosaic law or the covenant of Abraham, he has become an heir to that promise. And the Bible establishes that... Uh, Abraham is our father, according to verse 12. Abraham is our father. And, of course, we always refer back to Abraham as being our father of faith. Abraham was a father of the faithful. Throughout the scripture this is declared. James, the second chapter of the Bible, calls Abraham a friend of God. He was a friend of God. There's no question about it. Now, notice what the apostle Paul or Peter uses as logic. In the New Testament, he says, now, true enough, we are the seed of Abraham. But he uses Abraham's wife, Sarah, as an example for the New Testament believer. He doesn't take it just from the Mosaic law, but he goes past the Mosaic law. Abraham, who lived in 1800 B.C., he goes all the way back there and he picks up Abraham and he picks up Sarah and uses them for an example for New Testament believers. Now, just as Abraham is our father in the faith to the Christian lady of the New Testament, he says, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well. In other words, the New Testament Christian woman becomes the daughter of Sarah. Just like the New Testament man becomes the son of Abraham. And so as a result, he said, as long as you do well. Now, what do you mean as long as you do well? Well, the commandment is written already. If you adorn yourself, showing submission to your husband, showing submission to God's chain of command, showing that you are in accordance to the laws of God, then you do well. Now notice what he said. And are not afraid with any amazement. Now you notice in First Timothy, the second chapter in which we read, that men should lift up holy hands everywhere without wrath or doubting. And then he says, in like manner also that women should. 
Why should women do this? So that they are not afraid with any amazement. In other words, also there is an element of boldness in their heart. It is not showed in an external way the way the man shows it, but nevertheless, if the woman is in accordance with the law of God, uh, uh, she can pray. Uh, there is no fear that comes to her. She doesn't have to worry about anything. Uh, she knows that she is right in the sight of God, so she prays and prophesies and whatever that God has called her to do without being afraid and without any amazement. Now, likewise, ye husbands... Well, with them according to knowledge, give an honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. If a person is not living accordance, in accordance to the scripture, what happens? The Bible says their prayers will be hindered. Isn't that right? In other words, there's no direct line to them and God. As uh, the writer of the psalm says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, which is a part of her newborn nature, should be reflected. She should not cut her hair, according to the scripture. For this is also a reflection that she agrees with God's chain of command. She should show much respect to her husband. Those are not married to their fathers and to spiritual leaders so that all of her actions and conduct is a reflection of her particular position in life. Of course, we could also become very uh, strong toward the men today in our words. I don't think a boy ought to act like a sissy. I don't think he should excel to act like a sissy. I think a boy ought to be a boy. And I think men ought to be men. And they ought to be strong. And they ought to be bold. And they ought to be decisive. I'm not talking about being bullies and smart alecks. But they ought to square their shoulders and, and hold their back straight. And they ought to look the world right in the eye. And boys don't go around all slouched over. Like some kind of a dog that just lost a fight. That's right. And the, the girls, we, I know we go out in PE in various places, but, but I think the, I think the girls ought to wear, uh, garments in which they can, even when they are playing in gym and such, at least they, they look like women and they act like women. And I don't think that girls ought to always be climbing trees and, you know, sometimes they get what we call the tomboy image. What do we mean by tomboy image? Well, that simply means that, well, there's an element of masculinity in that girl. Now, that ought not be. Now, if that's there, you should work on yourself. Now, true enough, the Old Testament does not tell the woman to wear a skirt and the man to wear pants or breeches. It doesn't say that. And I know a lot of people come along and they say, Oh, Brother Grant, then. What, what, they all wore robes in the Bible. Well, first place, keep this in mind. If that's your argument, then, then you stick with a robe. You'd be the very first one to make fun of some of these campus groups who run around here with these long garments on. You say, why in the world do they want to act so weird? 
And then you use that as your argument to put pants on. Well, there's that's not quite right, is it? You see, the whole point was that a woman should should wear a garment in which she can properly display her attitude. And a man should wear a garment in which he can be masculine. Now, if you put a skirt on me and you wanted me to go out and work on a bus out there, I'd have a little problem, wouldn't I? Isn't that right? Now, listen, this is something very, very important because we're living in a very perverted world. Very, very perverted. You could go down in the university area and you see a lot of guys down there with high-heeled shoes on carrying purses. And you see girls with hip-hugger jeans on and acting like boys. And the girls are applying for positions with construction companies. And the boys all want to become nurses. Now, I think there's a certain line that must be drawn. I know there must be. And, of course, I know that some of the pantsuits that some of the ladies wear certainly look a lot more modest than some of the dresses that I've seen in the world. But the truth of the matter is I really disagree with both of them. But you let a girl put on a pair of jeans and then you see how it changes the way she acts. Really. And I've heard a lot of girls say, well, I can't paint the house because i got my skirt on. See? Well, of course, my answer to that is that there's some jobs that girls ought not be doing. There are just some jobs they ought not be doing. And there's some jobs that I feel that men ought not be doing. I think that God has designed the position of a woman to be the keepers of the house. At least the scripture says that. And you may be a boy and you may like to sew and knit and crochet and all of that. You may be a girl and you may like to, to rake the leaves and, and be the carpenter and the plumber around the house. But basically all I know about the positions is what God has proclaimed in His Word. And while I do admit that some pantsuits look a whole lot more modest than some of the dresses I've seen, I have not seen a lady put on pantsuits in which her nature automatically, her actions automatically were changed. girl puts on a, a nice long dress and goes down to a banquet. She's got a beautiful corsage on and she's got her hair up. And she looks real nice. And she's not likely to skid across the floor that night. Tussling with somebody. And if she drops her handkerchief, there's a certain way. She bends her knees. And she reaches down to get it. But you let a girl put on pantsuits or jeans or whatever. And she'll just throw her leg up on the chairs like a boy does. And she will bend over. And uh, expose herself. Amen. She automatically changes. 
when she puts that on. And so I say that there has to be a line drawn someplace, and the place that I've drawn the line is, I say no girls wearing jeans or pantsuits, and no boys wearing dresses. Okay? There has to be a line drawn. If I could let you girls wear the pants, I could let the boys wear the dresses. Couldn't you see Norman Puckett in a skirt and pantyhose? See, we all laugh at that. But what tells us that Norman ought not do that? The very same law that tells us that the girls ought not wear the jeans. Amen? That's right. That's exactly right. And of course, someone said, well, you can't prove in the Bible that they ever wore pants or breeches. The truth of the matter is, the priesthood of the Old Testament, there were laws concerning their particular garment. Exodus 28, 42. Exodus 39, 28. Leviticus 6, 10. Leviticus 16, 4. And Ezekiel 44, 18. Speaks of the breeches that the priests wore. I'm serious with you. And it's right in the scripture. In closing... We want to turn to Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. It speaks of the judgment that comes upon Babylon. <clears throat> the judgment that comes upon Babylon is explained like this. I'd like for you to follow along carefully. Isaiah 47 verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now notice what the scripture is saying. That the lady will no longer be called tender and delicate. And that's what a lady should be called. She should excel to be feminine. Number two, take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover the locks. And notice 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of the veil. And the Apostle Paul was actually talking about the Old Testament veil. Of course, he tells us that our hair is given us for covering. So there's no particular commandment in the New Testament tells us that the ladies ought to wear the veil. But what they were doing, he says, uncover thy locks. In other words, unveil yourself. Make bare the leg. Sometimes we think girls running around in shorts. That's a sexy thing, you know. It shows that they're real ladies. Scripture says that's not true. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Now, passing over the rivers is a phrase that means... Go beyond your boundaries. Go beyond your boundaries. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. Now notice what God says. I will take vengeance. Now what happens when he takes vengeance? He says, I will not meet thee as a man. In other words, 
You are not tender, and you're not delicate. You uncovered your hair. You showed your nakedness. You were grinding meal at the factories. In other words, you you went out and you got men's jobs and such. God says, I will reveal your shame. But remember this one thing. That when I take action, I don't consider you to be a man just because you're doing a man's job and you're acting like men. And just because you lost your feminine touch, he said, when I meet you, I'll judge you just like I judge all other women. Why? Because there's a standard by which the Christian woman is to live. And it has been established. And when God meets you, and you meet the Lord face to face one day, and we all will, you'll not say, but uh, everybody in our school did this. Well, on my job they did this. Well, I had to have this kind of job, Brother Grant, and when I had this kind of job, I had to wear this kind of garment. God's going to say no. I'm going to judge you by the standard of the Christian woman. And I won't meet you any other way. I'll judge you just by what's in the book. Praise God. Do you believe that? Wish we had time for question and answer, but it's time for school to go to be let out. Isn't that right? Praise God. Are you happy about that? All right, praise God. Let's lift our hands and just praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Jesus, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. We appreciate you.